Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was wounded. But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Huh? Oh. Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. This week, I talked to Tiffany Haddish in a hilarious, deep, thoughtful interview where we dive into family trauma, grief, sobriety, love, and dating. I got a big heart, and I'm very forgiving, but, like, don't abuse it. It's been abused enough. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss this one. Go behind the wheel, under the hood, and beyond with Car Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the show. If that theme music sounds familiar to you, I'm glad because it means you've heard us before. I'm Ben. And I'm Scott. And today we're here with our super producer, uh, Matt. I guess we, should we give him a nickname for this one? <laughs> you're, you're, you're treading in dangerous water here, Ben, because... Uh, this, I don't know how you feel about it. If you called him Fair Lady, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know either. Uh, let's see. Let's call him Matt the Sportster. Matt the Sportster Frederick. That seems fair. Or maybe uh, the Roadster. The Roadster is better. I don't know. I, I'm, it's not. It doesn't have the ring of Fair Lady. Ma- yeah, yeah, but we can't do that to him. He's our guest producer. No, we would never say Matt the Fair Lady Frederick. I mean, we wouldn't do that. No, no, no. But uh, if we did, we would have done it on this podcast. So we're not calling him Fair Lady Frederick. No, no. Anything but that. We'll think about something and maybe get to it at the end. How about that? All right. Yeah, yeah. Let's let's give it till the end. And listeners, if you want to write in with a, with a decent nickname suggestion, we'll take it. But, Scott, today's episode comes to us, like many of our best suggestions, from a listener. And this is a little bit uh, this is a little bit of a weird one because this came through another show and uh, it's tangentially related so a listener named Ricardo C wrote into our conspiracy show okay which oddly enough stuff they don't want you to know is a show that uh, Matt and I do which is why I especially need to stay in his good graces <laughs> so uh, a while back I was on Twitter and I started looking at MREs. Now, we've got a lot of listeners here on Car Stuff who have had uh, experience, right, with MREs, uh, maybe in the military. And one thing I became obsessed with, instead of doing my actual job, I'll be honest with you, man, uh, instead of doing my actual job, I started looking up MREs and equivalents all around the world. I'll let you in on a little secret. I've seen Matt looking up MREs as well. <laughs> and then once he showed me what he found, 
I started looking it up as well because there's some pretty remarkable options out there these days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There, there are. So, uh, first I'll read what he, uh, what Ricardo wrote about these MREs. And I love some opinions too from our veterans out there or people currently serving. Cause I know this is a hot button topic. Food always is. All right. So, uh, Ricardo says, Hey, I'm responding to your MRE tweet. You reminded me of the days of adventure, my army enlistment years. In the first Iraqi deployment, the U.S. did not have chow halls in country, so soldiers ate MREs every day for at least eight months. One thing I learned quickly is not all MREs are created equal. The most hated meal in my unit, and I want to see what you think about this, listeners. The most hated meal in my unit was the beef franks, a.k.a. the five fingers of death. The problem was the texture of the processed meat was slippery with a funky, overly vinegary meat piece thing. Um, the best, in my opinion, were the vegetarian ones because they tasted like a good knockoff of Chef Boyardee, which is strange to me that you would say like the vegetarian ones were wow. the best. Eight months every day. That's what he's eating. Yeah, that's a lot. That's Whoa. a lot of MRE. That is rough. Uh, he also says, uh, what did you have? Uh, civilian or military type. As some people know, I am a military brat, so I, I did have the military ones. I've gone to Army surplus stores around Atlanta recently, you know, trying to find good actual MREs that are not A, expired, or B, the civilian knockoffs, mm-hmm. which are not bad. Yeah, because I'm familiar with the stuff in camping stores, you know, some right. of the, uh, the modern camping stores, like REI or places like sure. that. And uh, the dehydrated stuff that's in a bag, it's it's considerably different than the military stuff. It, it for sure is, yeah. And then also Ricardo warns uh, us and all the listeners, by the way, you should keep away from those meals. Each carries about 3,000 calories. Uh, give or give more to the type. Yeah, sure. Meant to, uh, meant to give you Tremendous energy after you eat. Right, right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, oh man, we could do a show for, I don't know what brand we would do this for, but we could do a show just on MREs. Maybe we'll ask Josh and Chuck to do a show on it and we can show up and eat MREs for free. Uh, so anyway, all that said, that's the huge tangent. Scott, today's topic, which comes from CML, is, uh, the Dotson Fair Lady, specifically, uh, like Dotson Sports, Dotson's Fair Lady, uh, Ricardo, or as you as you signed the emails, or Jimmy from L.A., uh, said, could you look at the 1970s fair lady, the 240Z? Ah, Ricardo, a.k.a. Jimmy, says he wants to know about this, uh, uh, this classic line of vehicles that uh-huh. uh, is a bit confusing to me as well. I mean, even after what we've done here, this research that we've done, it's slightly confusing in the way that it's named. Mm-hmm. Uh, other than that, it's pretty straightforward as far as, you know, which models came out when and the specs right, and all that stuff. Right. But, but hopefully we'll clarify some of the, uh, the, 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 the Datsun Sports, the Z production cars, the Fair Lady stuff, all that will, uh, will be clarified to you, uh, hopefully in the next, you know, half hour. So. <laughs> so we, yeah, we wanted to, uh, get a little bit broader than just the 240Z and look at the Datsun Fair Lady or the Datsun Sports. Overall, and that's where that's where there's some of this confusion and branding that we want to walk you through. All right, let's, let's try to let's try to just quickly get through this and and then understand that some of these terms will be used back and forth a little bit. Yeah, a little there's bit a interchangeability between yeah. the, between the two of them mm-hmm. or three of them rather. So the father Ben of the Datsun Z cars or the uh, the Datsun Sports cars, the Fair Lady vehicles, um, is officially. Uh, known as well, as he's the uh, the president of Nissan Motor Corporation, who is the parent company of Datsun, mm-hmm. and his name is. Uh, oh, you're gonna have to bear with me here on this, okay? All right, Yutaka 
Katayama. And I'll just call him Mr. K from this point forward because, uh, Mr. K is, uh, is what most people refer to him as to be, you know, mm-hmm. just to be clear, I guess, throughout the rest of the, uh, the show we'll do that. Um, but this all started back in the late 1960s. And the idea was that they needed a vehicle to compete with, uh, you know, the cars of the day, like the MG, the Triumph, yeah. uh, the Fiat, the Alfa, Alfa Romeo. Exactly yeah. right. They were, they were producing two seat roadsters. Uh, that, um, you know, Nissan, quite frankly, said, well, we don't have anything in that, in that region, in that zone. We don't have a sports mm-hmm. car right now. Right. We need something like this. So let's, let's get something out there on the market. And, uh, what they came up with was it, uh, what became an iconic vehicle for them. Mm-hmm. It did. And it remains an iconic vehicle today. So the line began with the 1959 S211. Yeah. Now, just, Okay, let's take one step back. One step back. One step back, and I think we need to do this. And I, I apologize because I meant to do it right after the oh, father. Oh, so. right. We need to differentiate what's the difference between the sports <laughs> yeah. and the fair lady. Okay, so here's <laughs> here's the scoop. Uh, the Datsun Sports cars, it's actually a series of cars. It's not mm-hmm. just one car. You can't right. say this is the Datsun Sports. Uh, it was actually a series of cars that preceded the Z cars in the fair lady line. So the fair lady line is the big group of vehicles that that stretches between the Datsun sports cars, and the Z cars. Mm-hmm. The Datsun sports cars are separate from the Z cars, but they're all within the Fair Lady line. Right. So Fair Lady, if you think about it, is sort of the bridge between the other two. Yes, and I can tell you how you know the Fair Lady name came about, and I can tell you how the um, how the Z name came about, and we'll get to that if you'd like. But um, the Datsun sports cars, that's not, that's not really a, uh, a difficult thing to, to understand. That's just the, 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 the origin of the, the Datsun Sports vehicles, you know, the, right. uh, the sports cars. Right, right, right. Clear enough. So, Ben, I interrupted you. I didn't mean to, but um, I felt we had to get that out there. But the uh, the model that you mentioned came out in 1959. Yes, yeah, the uh, Datsun 1959 S211. Uh, this used a 988cc C-Series straight four, uh, and it made about a... Thirty-six horsepower. Yeah. Okay. Thirty-six horsepower, and that's funny to say that, right? You might think, well, that's not much of a sports 36 car. Thirty-six really. horsepower. But you didn't really need a whole lot to, uh, to 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 make this thing go fast down the road. Right. Power to weight ratio. This was designed by Yuchi Ota, who had also made the DC three and uh, worked on the A80X, which was the prototype. Here's the thing. One of one of the things that makes this lower horsepower engine still viable is that they use fiberglass bodywork. Ah, very interesting for that time, right? Mm -hmm. Because it was kind of modeling on the idea of uh, what Corvette was doing here in the United States. They said, well, that's a a great solution to the problem. And because it's lightweight, it's uh, it's something that, you know, you can make uh, complex shapes with. Very easily, or easier than you could stamped uh, metal at the time, for sure. Uh, so, so it made it made perfect sense. Now, I'm going to clarify something on the name of this vehicle. You called it the S211. Mm-hmm. It's also known as the Sports 1000. Yes, that's because of the um, you know the the CC the, displacement of the engine, right? And they badge it with Datsun 1000. Too, Datsun right? 1000, and this is the rarest of all Datsun vehicles. Yes, sir. Yeah, uh, so rare. Only twenty models were ever built of the actual of the actual uh, Datsun One Thousand. So, not counting the AADX, only twenty examples were built, and that means that this is the rarest. Full stop. Whoa, not bad, not bad. Twenty twenty vehicles. That's it. So, um, if you find one of those somewhere, if you see one in a museum, take a second look at it. You know, right. because uh, because it's a very valuable vehicle. It's very very rare find. 
Um, then they moved on to uh, another vehicle, in, or another couple of vehicles, in 1961 and 1962. Uh, they created something called the SPL-212 and the SP-213. Now, yeah, I think that with all these numbers and letters we're throwing around, of course, the... Um, um, you know the uh, the company code, I guess, for the project would be part of that. But the the L in the uh, the designation SP is sports, of course. Mm-hmm. When I say SPL, that means left hand drive. Right. Uh, so the other one, the SP two thirteen, is simply the right hand drive version of that same vehicle. Right. And so that's the same way with SPL two thirteen. Uh, the SPL uh, two twelve was the first Datsun sports car to ever make it to the States or ever be imported to the States. And it had steel bodywork. Uh they made more of these than the two eleven. Uh, I think through nineteen sixty one they made just under three hundred, right? Just under three hundred. So again, very rare and I'll tell you how rare this one is. So this will give you an idea of, of the maybe the cost that would be associated with the first vehicle that they made, that that mm-hmm. sports one thousand. Uh, they said that in 1996, a set of unrestored SPL 212s sold for $100,000. So, wow. And that's the ones that they made about 300 of. Now, imagine what the ones that they only made 20 of are worth. I don't know if you can really put a price on them. Yeah, and you know what? This is where um, this is where the Fair Lady name first became uh, part of this whole story. Ah, yes. And and when you tell us about this, can you tell us uh, where this name comes from? Too? Yes. Because that's interesting. Of course. Yeah. So the, the Fair Lady name, and you might think that's a really weird way to, a weird weird thing to call your sports car. Because right. normally you go with something a little bit more masculine, a little tougher, right? Right. The Viper. Well, yeah, exactly. Well, this name uh, comes from a, um, uh, a Broadway show. A Broadway musical called My Fair Lady, and I believe the president of Nissan Motorsports was over here in uh, 1958. He was here in the United States, and he caught this Broadway musical called My Fair Lady, and he thought, well, that's a perfect name for a sports car because it, <laughs> it conveys an image of beauty, and yeah. that's exactly what we want. So he didn't really see it as like, well, who's going to drive around a sports car called the Fair Lady? Um, mm-hmm. You know, it seems a little uh, less masculine than would be, you know, the uh, the Stingray or the Challenger, sure. or the, you know, the uh, the Mustang or something mm-hmm. like that. Uh, the or lady. the face punch. <laughs> the face punch. Yeah, yeah the fame, the fa- the world famous Ford face punch. <laughs> yeah, right. So, so, <laughs> so it, it it it's funny that you know he named it that, but he did it with with good intention. You know, that yeah. it was, uh, and, and it was widely accepted in Japan as being, you know, that's okay. That's, uh, that's, we understand you're going for a message that this is a beautiful sports car and, mm-hmm. and it should have a beautiful name like that. And, uh, the SPL, uh, 212 was based on the Datsun 223 truck, right? And yeah. Oh, that's important because, yeah. uh, that truck chassis or that truck basis will run for a few more years before they finally shift it over. Mm-hmm. And, uh, this, uh, SPL, 212 was the first vehicle to bear that fair lady name. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they were only on the export market. Um, eventually, the first true Datsun sports car comes out in 1963. Yeah, August of 1963, and it runs until about January of 1965. And this mm-hmm. was the um, the sports 1500. A.K.A. the uh, SP310 and SPL310. A.K.A. the Fair Lady 1500. <laughs> See what I mean? And, then, and in the U.S., it was called the Datsun 1500. Uh-huh. So all these names, as we said, it gets very complicated as what they're called in what markets. So Fair Lady was typically used in, uh, I believe, in the uh, JDM market in, in Japan yeah. and Australia. Right, and right. And then elsewhere, 
uh, you know, anywhere else, really. It was called the Datsun whatever, you know, right. the, whatever the model would be. And so, again, Datsun 1500 here in the U.S. And this one is not on that truck platform. This is on the Bluebird 310 sedan. Yeah, so based on a sedan, not a truck, and that uh, that somehow throws it over to being, uh, you know, the, the true sports car. Right, 85 horsepower. Yeah, 80, okay, 85, that's not bad. Um, I had an MG from right around the same time frame, 1966, and trying to think of what the horsepower was in that, but I wanted to, I want to say that it was like 70 something or 60 something. Mm-hmm. And that was plenty in that vehicle. I mean, it was so lightweight, so small, so agile. Yeah. That, that type of horsepower feels okay in that vehicle. Right. It feels if sporty. It, if it ran out of gas, you could just pick it up and carry it That's to the right. gas station. Under right? my arm like a book. <laughs> <laughs> Practically. Uh, but it, it was, uh, it was also known, this, this particular model, the Sports 1500, was known as a well-equipped vehicle, and I'll tell you what well-equipped meant in uh, in the the mid 1960s. That meant that it had a transistor radio, a tonneau cover, map lights, and a clock, and uh, it also had a unique sideways third seat in the rear. Which I yeah, think that's a cool one. That's a yeah. cool thing. I like that. Yeah, I like that idea. I wish uh, that had caught on more and was more common because you know it's something we've talked about before. Often, auto manufacturers when they're Making a sports car and they're trying to sell it, uh, they have this, they have this weird problem because many of the people who can afford a sports car, uh, also have a family that will say, what the hell are you doing buying this, this two seat, um, this two seat sports car when we clearly have to put kids in the back seat, right? That's why there's so many cars that have these little, I call them token backseats, symbolic yes. backseats. Oh, for sure. Like, there's some Porsches with that. There's also, oh, look, for a good laugh, you can look up the uh, the Lotus Evora. And the Lotus Evora <laughs> backseat, you put a kid's seat back there, the kid looks like they're, they're giants in the yeah. backseat. It's yeah. amazing. And supposedly, that's for two small adults yeah, uh, so to fit in the back. But I, no way. No way. There's no way. No way. And I, that's why I like that sideways uh Sideways third seat. I think that's a cool. That's a cool approach to it. Yeah, you know what? This is um. This is a time when I think we should take just a bit of a sidebar on uh, some of the marketing that was going on with yeah uh, the Fair Lady line because it's kind of an interesting little twist to it. Now there was a, the 1964 Summer Olympics were mm-hmm. happening, and Nissan established this gallery in a uh, in a uh, a major downtown building um, in mm-hmm. uh, in Tokyo, mm-hmm. and they had, we wanted to try to attract visitors to uh, to get. Um, you know some of the the message out there about their their beautiful line of sports cars. They're fair ladies, right? So, right. Um, they start using these really beautiful female showroom attendants, and they chose them in a competition where they they narrowed it down to I think five people, five candidates for their yes. these ladies, and they called them the Nissan Miss Fair Ladies. And it was kind of a modeling competition, and they um they were supposed to be like uh, the Datsun demonstrators you know for the for the vehicles it was like right. the, the early days of the uh, of the booth babes i guess yeah yeah that's a really that's a really good comparison i'm glad we're taking this uh we're taking this tangent here because the, there's a very fascinating story here so it it originally started with uh it originally started with this idea of you know be this public uh Public face, this marketing tool, but in addition to being, you know, drop dead gorgeous, you also have to know about the vehicle. So you have to be able to explain the stats, explain the specs. Um, so let's also keep in mind that, um, in, in the sixties here, 1964 is not, it's not very long after World War II. So the economy is still 
in recovery. Um, and they're also, you know, it's experiencing this economic boom, but it's also the country as a whole is transitioning to like, what, what are we internationally? So this idea of the Summer Olympics in 64 is this huge opportunity to bring the entire world to Japan and say, here's what we do. Oh, by the way, these cars are amazing. So this wasn't, I guess what I'm trying to say, Scott, is that this was not just some unimportant kind of eye candy thing. Yeah, not a stereotypical model situation where uh, what we often think of is, you know, somebody that's just a pretty face up there doesn't really know much about the product, right? Right. This is, uh, you got to back it up with the information. You have to have good product knowledge as well because they were meant to be spokespeople for the Nissan slash Datsun company. Right. And they were sent around whenever Nissan would come out with a new model or something. Uh, the, these, uh, women were sent around to these dealerships. They traveled to present it. And, uh, this practice eventually, like, it, it leads to something, um, much more substantial because the, uh, Miss Fair ladies continued on like professionally and became managers and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. I just want to be very clear that these weren't some, you know, the, these weren't some people who didn't know anything about cars and were just supposed to stand there and look pretty. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a great program. And uh, I think it was a fantastic idea. What a, what a perfect tie in, uh, with the product, you know, to have the Nissan Miss Fair ladies demoing the, uh, the Nissan Fair ladies. It, it makes yeah. perfect sense. Comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature, and of course... We'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, from actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table because geek culture is pop culture. And we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Eugene Fodor. Gene, we'll boot it. Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with. So you write the books, Gene, and Vlastor on the business. I understand now. He's a wise man who marries a wiser woman. But be careful and choose your travel partner well, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. Get down! I'm not stupid, Gene. Something is going on, and it's high time you tell me the truth. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! So travel before it's too late. Your money will return. Your time won't. And we're all too quickly approaching that final destination. Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season remind us to embrace change and fearlessly look toward the future. Like Andrew Jarecki, award-winning filmmaker and creator of Movie Phone. 
The studios didn't really control the theaters. The theaters didn't control the studios. And I thought, well, there's a window in here where I could make things easier for the consumer and also make something that would be very useful for the industry. Or Kellen Kenny, chief marketing and growth officer at AT&T, who installed fiber in customers' houses rather than leading from afar. It is so crucial that you spend time with the customers. That is the best lesson. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, let's move on past the 1500, mm-hmm. though, and that uh, that ended, I guess, production in January of 1965, and then in again in January of 1965, they picked up with uh, the Nissan Sport or the Datsun Sports 1600 model, which is known as the SP311 and the mm-hmm. SPL311. Right. So uh, the SP311, SPL311, uh, they're first shown at the Tokyo Motor Show in 64, but they're not actually in production until 65. Mm-hmm. And uh, what do they have? Like a, they, had, they were approaching 100 horsepower. I think they had about 95 horsepower. Yeah. So not yeah. bad. They have a significant increase year after year for this vehicle. Right. Independent front suspension. It's still got the Fair Lady branding in, again, Japan and Australia. Anywhere else, it's the Datsun 1600. Now, think about where they've come here. I mean, this is like five years later, six years later. They've gone from, you know, a vehicle, the the uh, the S1, I'm sorry, the Sports 1000, which only had 36 horsepower, up to a vehicle that is approaching 100 horsepower at this point. Yeah. So, tremendous increase in power. This is a car that's clearly gaining um, in, uh, in 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 uh, performance, you know, throughout the, uh, well, the short time frame that it's been produced. Mm-hmm. Very short at this point. Yeah, I think that's a great point, Scott. And let's also, I, I just want to step back just for a second uh, while we're on the way here to point out that this, the SP311, SPL311, uh, when they were restyled, one of the people who played a hand in this was a guy named Count Albrecht Goetz. Count. Count. Uh, Albrecht. I, like, I like it. Albert Goetz, uh, Goetz, who would later be involved with designing the very first Fair Lady Z. Can I add Count to the beginning of my name as well? Can I just be Count Scott Benjamin? You know, I've wondered about this, and it's strange that that this. I think you can, but it's not. It's not going to count. No pun intended. Sorry. As a uh, as a an honorific, unless someone who has the authority. Okay. Like a queen well, does that. That's so. fine. I'm gonna. I'm just gonna stick then with Scott Benjamin Esquire. That's great, yeah. Uh, uh, I'll just remain with that. I would say add some numbers on the back. Uh, <laughs> it's always a good bet. It's always, it's always a good, a good bet. bet, yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, you should write, just just write to the, how how difficult is it to just write to the Queen of England? Well, to, you know, at that point, I might as well be knighted. But I don't think I'm allowed to do that either. No, you can totally, I think you could totally be knighted. There's just going to be some paperwork because you're from the States. You might have to change your citizenship, <laughs> but really, how bad do you want it? I don't know. Knighting would be pretty cool. You know, one thing I've noticed uh, is that often, for for a long time, when I was a kid, I didn't understand why you would see so many billboards for, like, non-Catholic churches where there's bishop so-and-so, so-and-so, mm-hmm. right? And uh, eventually, my mom broke it to me, and she's like, no, those aren't Catholic bishops. And I said, well, how do they get to be bishops? And my mom said, I think they just 
decide they are. Self-appointed. Yeah, I don't know if you could be a self-appointed count, though. Uh, maybe I'll try it for a while, see you if know, it works out for me. Dream big. A handwritten letter always <laughs> counts more. Yeah. Hey, if we're, if we're moving on past this one, yeah. uh, I just want to point out that the um, you know production on the Sports 1600 overlapped with the next vehicle, vehicle that we're going to talk about, yes. the, uh, the, the Fair Lady Sports 2000 model. Uh-huh. And that premiered in March of 1967. And as we said, um, the 1600... Uh, was produced all the way until 1970. So there's about three years of overlap between uh, the 1600 and the, and the 2000. Right, and here's where some safety regulations come in as well, because both the 1600 and the 2000 had to have some new stuff added. Yeah, major update. Right, so they had toggle switches, padded uh, steering wheel, padded dashboard, uh, flush fit lifting units on the door handles, right? Yep, yet still called, uh, well, actually, these are changed only slightly. These are called the SR. To, uh, 311 and the SRL 311. So instead of going with the uh, the SP 311, it's right. SR. And so the Datsun, let's talk about the Datsun a little bit. Sure. And, and stop me if I'm skipping ahead here because mm-hmm. this is this is interesting. Uh, it was called a bargain sports car. Yeah, and you know what? Before we do that, can I just take just one minute to explain where Datsun came from? Because I think that's important to get the uh, the Datsun brand history in here. And it'll only take me about one or two minutes oh, to get this. Don't time yourself. Well, uh, I'll, but I'll, you're right. We should do this. I'll, I'll make it quick, I promise. But um, the Datsun uh, Motor Company, originally it was known as the uh, DAT Motor Company, D-A-T, uh, was founded in 1931 and Nissan, the parent company, you know, who remained the parent company of, of Datsun, took control of, of Dat Motor Company. That's funny to say that. Took control of Dat, Dat. Motor Company in 1934. Um, and then the brand remained under Nissan for, for a, a long time. Actually, still, as a matter of fact, because, uh, the, the, the company Datsun or the, the brand name Datsun was uh-huh. defunct in 1986. So the, the, the brand went away. From 1986 until 2013, when it was relaunched, and we talked about that vehicle because they're they're bringing back the Datsun brand in relation to that four thousand dollar new car that we talked about, kind of the uh, the low end, um, you know, budget minded vehicle, but they want the Datsun name on it because they don't want the Nissan name on this vehicle. Remember, right? Yeah. So from 1958 to about 1986, all the way up until that point, you know, beyond where we're going to talk about today. Any vehicle that was exported by Nissan was called a Datsun. So the vehicles that Nissan produced all the way up until 1986 were known as Datsuns here in the United States. And elsewhere, they used, uh, you know, the, the Nissan Datsun name interchangeably, you know, several different places. Mm-hmm. But again, in 1986, they kind of phased it out until, uh, you know, the 2013 relaunch. Yes. Uh, this, I'm glad you said this because, uh, we, have we talked much about the, the Datsun history? Uh, not detail? a lot. Now we did, we did in the, um, in that $4,000 car episode, you know, right. the, uh, the, the relaunch of the Datsun name. We talked about it a bit as how it was going to be a, a low cost brand of Nissan product that would be sold in emerging markets like Brazil and Russia and India and China and places like mm-hmm. that. Um, you know, anywhere that had, um, a developing economy, someplace that, um, uh, it, it wouldn't be sold here in the United States as, sure. as a Datsun. Right. Uh, that vehicle wouldn't be sold here because of, uh, you know, federal safety standards and things like that that hey. uh, won't pass. But, yeah. um, and, and other places in the world too, there are going to be places that, that Datsun will not be able to be sold. Uh, but we have talked about it in, in um, I guess not in great detail, but mm-hmm. in some detail on that bike. And you know what? I'm so glad you mentioned the $4,000 sports car because what was the Datsun 2000 called? Oh, uh, oh, it was called, um, oh, shoot, I don't know. 
a bargain sports car. A bargain? Oh, really? Yeah. A, no kidding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's kind of funny that they're bringing that back then. Well, I, I, you know, at that time, they were, they were calling it a bargain sports car. The main reason they built it was to give Datsun a better image in racing. You know, Ben, I'd never heard that before. It was called the uh, the bargain sports car mm-hmm. um, all the way back in the, the late 60s, early 70s. <laughs> yeah, uh, it was raced uh, pretty successfully, too. Uh, racers like Bob Sharp, John Morton raced it. Uh, it. Although it had the lowest sticker price, it won its class in C production and D production in SCCA racing, uh, even after production stopped. So, Oh, you know what? Here, this is something we've got to bring up here because I thought this was really cool when I read about it. This car, you know, we say it's a bargain sports car, and you're thinking, well, how much of a sports car could really be for that price and all that, right? Um, Capable of cruising at 120 miles an hour, which is, you know, not bad for that time. You got to think about, you know, 1970 or you know, late 1960s. This is a, you know, well-tuned Daytona 2000, so not just one right off the showroom floor, but maybe toyed with a little bit. Yeah, you know, adjusting the carbs, things like that. Nothing major, no major overhauls. Mm -hmm. This thing was capable of getting 30 miles per gallon, but listen to this. It redlined at exactly 7,000 RPM and 140 miles per hour in fourth gear, and that's in a car that has five speeds. Now, I know I just said it's capable of cruising with 120. That means that's comfortable. When you're really on it, 140 miles an hour at 7,000 RPM, can you imagine what that sounded like? That must have been incredible to drive that vehicle. Plus, lightweight, two-seater, it must have been so much fun to drive one of these cars. And this was the immediate precursor to the Z series. Yeah, it makes sense because look where they're going next. They were going to the Z car, but they had just come off of this uh, this amazing you know sports two thousand model. Um, you know they had uh, a, a major restyle in there in nineteen sixty eight, I think, where they yeah. they had you know some things that uh, kind of detuned it a little bit. You know some emission stuff that were added added for the U S cars. Um, you know, Australian cars somehow escaped that emissions uh, problem or issue, rather. But uh-huh. um, if you can get one of those early vehicles that didn't have all those emissions controls that were where were clogging things up, yeah, uh, definitely grab onto that. But but let's move on, Ben, to the Z cars because this is an interesting story as well. Uh-huh. And uh, it, I feel like we're more than halfway there, though, because uh, the Z cars we we don't necessarily have to spend as much time as we did on the sports cars. But let's uh, let's let's paint, paint the each, picture. Yeah, let's paint the picture. That's a good way to say it. And. Really, the the best way to say it is that this new vehicle that they came out with, the Nissan S30, mm-hmm. um, a.k.a. the Z cars, uh, the 240Z in specific, was right. Datsun's halo car at the time. Comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature, and of course... We'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table because geek culture is pop culture. And we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Eugene Fodor. Gene, we'll boot it. Much of the joy you will find on the road 
comes from the person you share it with. So you write the books, Jin, and Vlastar on the business. I understand now. He's a wise man who marries a wiser woman. But be careful and choose your travel partner well, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. Get down! I'm not stupid, Jean. Something is going on, and it's high time you tell me the truth. Freeze, Americano! Huh? Oh! Jean, run! So travel before it's too late. Your money will return. Your time won't. And we're all too quickly approaching that final destination. Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season remind us to embrace change and fearlessly look toward the future. Like Andrew Jarecki, award-winning filmmaker and creator of Movie Phone. The studios didn't really control the theaters. The theaters didn't control the studios. And I thought, well, there's a window in here where I could make things easier for the consumer and also make something that would be very useful for the industry. Or Kellen Kenny, Chief Marketing and Growth Officer at AT&T, who installed fiber in customers' houses rather than leading from afar. It is so crucial that you spend time with the customers. That is the best lesson. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark, more than ever. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Yeah, yeah. Uh, first sold in October 1969 in Japan. And it had, well, it had two different models, right? Uh, one for the Japanese market, one for the U.S. market. Right? Of course. Right, of course. So, well, uh, there's a right hand drive, left hand drive. That's true. That's one thing. That's a good point. But then the emissions, the the, the choking stuff. Again, as again, you yeah. said, mm -hmm. yeah. And uh, this uh, these these vehicles work very well as halo cars. I mean, just look at the the profile of it. It's a beautiful vehicle. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and uh, both of these both of these versions of the S30 are big hits. Like, uh, it, and looking back is. No, no, um, no mystery why. Yes, they were. And Ben, I mean, this is a radically redesigned vehicle. I mean, it's nothing like the, the, uh, the Datsun sports cars that we had seen before. Not yeah. that they were a bad design. It's just, this is something completely different. It's very sleek, very, uh, very, um, designed by the wind, I guess, if you will, uh, yeah. sports car. And I, I know that's kind of funny to say because there's still a lot of sharp angles on these things, but, um, beautiful redesign of the vehicle for the mm -hmm. 240Z. Completely new. And what what do you think about the uh, the subsequent evolutions there with the Z cars? Oh yeah, yeah, all the different types that they went through. They went through the it was the 240Z initially, right? And that was yeah. from 1970 to about 1973. And then uh, we can touch on these briefly if you want. But there was the 260Z, right, in '74, uh, which a lot of people in the United States aren't familiar with the 260Z. And there's good reason for that because you said 1974. That was the only year that it was sold here in the United States, but elsewhere. 260Z production went on through 1978, so they had four solid years of 260Z production. Well, also with the 260Z in 74, the power decreased 
to uh, 139 horsepower in most of the U.S., and that was due to uh, emissions regulations, uh, here we go camshafts, again. carburetors, lower compression. Detuning the cars get, in order to fit emissions. In order to comply with Uncle Sam. It, it happened across the board to every manufacturer, so uh, it's just something they had to live with at that time, and people that you know are, are now looking for those vehicles, you know, right. trying to find them, they seek out the ones that are, are non uh, non-restricted like that. The you ones know, if, that survive. If they're available or there's ways around it at this point. Sure, I mean, you yeah. Can, you can convert them. But, so um, very that, next year, 280Z. Yeah, the next year in 1975, you're right. Uh, so overlap again with the uh, the 260 and the 280Z, uh, at least here in the United States. Um, from 1975 to 1978 was the 280Z. And um, not the official end of the Z car production by any means. There were yeah. other Z vehicles, but... Uh, those are the ones that we had kind of focused in on for this specific listener's request. Right. And, um, man, there's a few things that I just feel like we need to clarify here because we can't yeah. just skip over all that stuff no. so quickly. But let's do it, let's do it, um, a, a short wrap up on this. And, and one thing that we have to say, because we talked about the fair lady name, I think we do need to mention where the Z name came from. Ooh, good call. And so with the introduction of the S30 cars, you know, back in, uh, what year would that be? That was, uh, 1969. Mm-hmm. Um, with the introduction of those, uh, that line of vehicles, the Nissan Motors president, you know, Mr. K again, I'm not going to pronounce his last name, but Mr. K, uh, said that he didn't want the U.S. cars marketed as fair ladies anymore. And, I, I don't know why he decided, you know, that, that was the time to change it, but that's, you know, 10 years on. Um, but he said he wanted something a little more aggressive, like we just talked about. You know, he wanted yeah. something like Shark or Tiger or something uh-huh. like that, you know, to, to go along the lines with uh, with U.S. marketing. Made perfect sense. Mm-hmm. But the idea was turned down in Japan, and they finally agreed that for the U.S. market, they were going to call it uh, the Datsun 240Z. And, of course, you know, 240 was short for the two, uh, 2400cc engine displacement, and the Z was actually the product file designation within the corporation. So mm-hmm. I, I've seen this elsewhere where they take, um, you know, kind of the um, the code name for the project and they use it for the actual product at the end. Right, yeah. The, uh, the production vehicle. And that's part of what, you know, the Z car designation was. They said they had used almost every other letter in the alphabet at this point. It's time for the, the Z to be used. So it just happened to be the Z vehicle. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've seen this on other vehicles like, you know, the uh, the Jeep Wrangler that's called the TJ. Mm-hmm. You know, or uh, these code designations, they they sometimes creep into uh, the public awareness, and they still and they use them. And Jimmy, uh, if you like Z cars as much as we do, I have some bad news and some good news. So uh, let's go ahead and start with the good news. We'll go. We'll go to the bad news. The good news is that you and every other listener, and you, Matt, and you, Scott, and me too, I guess. Uh, if we'd like to see a bunch of Z cars here in the States, then you can go to ZCon, the International Z Car Convention. It's been going on since 1988. Here is the bad news. We all missed the most recent one. It was oh. July 14th through the 18th. So it just happened. Up in Memphis, yeah. Hmm. Oh, and it was close to us. And it was close to us, man. I'm oh, sorry. shoot. Yeah. That's but uh, this comes with some more bonus good news. It's not too late for us to plan for next year. As a matter of fact, it's the perfect time to do so. Yeah, it would be. Man, that's really cool. That's so that's really, really close to us. And I love Z cars. I can I can tell you that on my way to work almost every day, I see three or four of these. 
And it, I know it's kind of a rare find, but and I don't even I, I haven't seen them close enough to even tell you what what model they are. If they're two forty, two eighty, two sixty, yeah. what they are. Yeah. But um, you know, I pass them in parking lots or I see them on the road. It's always the same ones. You know, there's someone in an orange one. There's someone in a silver one. There's one that's a, a black one that's totally ratted out. Looks uh-huh. like it shouldn't even be on the road. <laughs> and there's a blue one. And the blue one is up somewhere by where I live, but um, I'll occasionally see that one. But I would say routinely on my way to work, I'll see three of these. And uh-huh. uh, they just happen to be going to or from school or work at the same time that I am. So kind of a rare occurrence, I guess. Yeah, but I often wonder, too, because if you're if you're north of town, you know, there's some really nice cars and garages north of town. So I feel sure. like you have better odds of seeing some great just road, road sites. Well, you have an opportunity to have a second vehicle. And there's some twisty roads up there in the mountains that are pretty nice as well. You know, the North Georgia mountains. Yeah. And uh, that's not too far of a drive for me. It's maybe an hour north of where I live. So, um, you know, opportunity to stretch the legs on a, a 240Z or a 280Z or something like oh, that. Oh, man, yeah, you can't beat it. Yeah, no way. And, um, you know, one thing that I, I feel like um, we're kind of wrapping up here. We haven't gone into a whole lot of detail on the Z cars, and, I, you know, I don't know if we should or not. I don't know. You um, know, that might be for another day, honestly. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I think we've kind of bridged the gap here, and we've told you a little bit about what mm-hmm. the Z cars are about. But the sports, the Datsun sports cars are where this whole thing originated. And I think that was important to get that out there. But yeah. um, one thing I wanted to say here is that the the father of the Datsun Z car, you know, Mr. K, he died this year, this very year. In, uh, in February, uh, I think it was February 19th of 2015, he was 105 years old, Ben. Wow. Now, the last podcast that we did, uh-huh. Was uh, was on the um, uh, the Rolagon tires, and the founder of that uh, that invention, yeah, that, w- the creator uh, of that, uh, Alby, Alby, w- William uh, Hamilton Alby Senior. Yeah, he lived to be one hundred and two years old. So uh, yeah. the founders of these companies live in long, long lives. Ben, we need to we need to get out there and you know found something. Yeah, we need to found <laughs> something. We need to develop something. That's not a bad idea. Maybe that's uh, it's part of the uh, longevity plan. Uh-huh. I have a I have a list of inventions. I have a book of inventions I made. This I, I swear this is true. Uh, the the smartest one I've made uh, so far. Just to give you an idea of how bad these are, or uh, you know those you know how if you get a soda bottle or bottle water, right? Yeah. And you and and please nobody steal this. Just out of courtesy. I don't have that much going on. I need this one. All right, guys, I need a big win. Okay. Yeah. So you know how when you're you're unscrewing the top, the plastic top. Yes. And the plastic top comes off, uh, so this invention would just be a strip that keeps it attached on, on a regular bottle. A, a tether. A tether of sorts, yeah. Hmm. Look, it sounded brilliant when I, I've got diagrams where I looked at the kind of material. Oh, oh man. man. Oh, Are you man. serious? Oh, I don't know. I feel like I've seen this somewhere already. More, it's more like a cap that you can just flip off with your thumb and then, uh, and, and use it that way. And see, you don't unscrew it with a tether. You just flip it over with your thumb. Wait, wait. No, no. Mine's different. <laughs> mine's different because it's part of the threat. Like when you're unscrewing and, you know, it pops those uh, those smaller plastic connectors. Yeah. It just, it kind of corkscrews into the uh, the body of the bottle. I see. So it's not in terms of, um, in, in terms of the sophistication of machining. You you save a little bit of money doing that. Okay. I feel like I feel like now I'm pitching to you as though you're the CEO. Of it's, Coke. it's okay. You got a different way of doing things. You know what? That's that's good. Good for you. I shouldn't uh, rain on your parade by any means on this stuff. Look, you know what? 
You just wait, my friend. <laughs> you just wait until I'm a bottle cap billionaire. You don't have to poke me in the chest like that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, okay. Yeah. No, you're right. Um, to bring it back to what we're actually talking about, it is strange how many, uh, how many of these heads of companies and, and founders of these, these great institutions end up living, uh, for a very long time. This guy, I mean, we said he died at 105 this very year. He, he was in the car business for 80 plus years, more than 80 years in just in like Nissan, Datsun, you know, yeah. doing that. Yeah. So amazing. I mean, that's, that's a long, long career. And uh, Ricardo or Jimmy, I uh, hope that you enjoyed this episode. Thank you so much for the recommendation. Yeah, and we should get back to Z cars, strictly Z cars. Yeah, we should do just a Z car episode. I was looking through our RSS feed, and I am surprised. I don't think we've done one. No, I don't think we have. Um, and you know, I know we've talked about individual examples of. Yeah, and we've had listeners suggest it before too. Mm-hmm. So now I, that's I'm having this. Uh, well, what do you call it? Cognitive dissonance. Well, here. you know, we've laid the groundwork with the with the uh, the fair lady and the uh, the Dotson Sports. Yeah, discussion. Sure. And uh, some of the stuff that goes around with that and the naming of the Z cars. And we've even laid out, you know, the, uh, the, 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 um, the production years of the Z cars and, and the models and where they were available and where they weren't. But, um, yeah, we need to uh, take a deeper dive into the Z cars for sure. So while we're off to, uh, research that and to maybe get our hands on some Z cars ourselves, uh, <laughs> wouldn't that be cool? That would be cool. Uh, let us know what you think, and if you have a Z car, we'd love to see the photos. You can post them to our Facebook page, post them to our Twitter page, or Car Stuff HSW. Both of those, you can hear every single podcast we've ever done. Because at this point, we always end up mentioning a few earlier ones that apply to stuff we've done. Uh, and you can do that by visiting our website. That's right, we have a legit website, WhereCarStuffShow.com. And you want to take a page from uh, earlier listeners and write to us directly. I asked for limericks earlier, and Scott pointed out that we never get any, so I'll stop doing that. Yeah, we try, but uh, so far, nothing. <laughs> so far, bupkis. But uh, if you want to write to us just to say, hey, or you've got uh, some suggestions for an upcoming show, or you've got some pictures of a project you're working on, we'd love to see all of them. You can email us directly at carstuff at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. Let us know what you think. Send an email to podcast at howstuffworks.com. Managing your diabetes just got easier. The powerful new Dexcom G7 lets you see your glucose numbers on your compatible watch and phone without finger sticks. And because Dexcom G7 is the most accurate CGM system, you can be confident in your food, exercise, and medication decisions. And all those decisions can lead to big results, like more time in range and lower A1C. Get started at Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com. Compatibility. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's Reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. 
As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene, was good. But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Huh? Oh! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.